Let me uh, just start by saying thank you to you all as a church, as a congregation, um, for what uh, Pastor Kelly said, for praying for us, for my family, for the church in Hurson for many, many years. I know you've prayed for Melinda, and you have been um, one of her pillars in supporting her and her ministry in prayer. And let me just say, start by saying that is um, very important. Uh, as a missionary, uh, I feel I can draw a crowd around me because I'm an American. People want to speak with me. But we can't get to the hearts of people. And that's where prayer comes in. Um, and, and so, um, just thank you. Thank you for praying for Sergey and his wife, Olya, for praying for the children's ministry this past week. The prayers that God would show forth in power and His might and change lives. Second thing, now that my wife's back, let me introduce my family. I was trying to prolong that. Till, so if you guys will stand up there in the row. Uh, uh, my wife, beautiful wife, Julia, we've been, we'll be married. We're celebrating our anniversary next Saturday, um, 23 wonderful years. Um, yeah. Then is Polly. Uh, she's 13 going on 20. Um, ready for eighth grade and uh, just a lovely young lady. And then Aggie is there, a uh, 10 year old, um, just very, very talented. And then Philip got taken back into um, children's church. So he's age seven. You guys go ahead and be seated. And then that's not the whole uh, clan. Um, uh, we left Anna, who's 16, back in Myrtle Beach because she's working this summer and she's wants to earn more money um, so she did not join us and then uh, have two children in college um, Nadia is my oldest and she is at Columbia International University in Columbia South Carolina and if you can figure out what this means you can tell me but she says if everything falls together she's going to graduate in May of 2020 I don't know what it means but She's on her way. And then we just dropped Timothy off at Clemson University last Saturday. And so we're joining the bandwagon of becoming a Tiger fan. I don't have orange on, but um, maybe soon. Um, so pray for him. He has a big adjustment as an 18-year-old coming off the mission field, coming back into American culture. And then on top of that, um, uh, having everything there at his fingertips and him having to make wise decisions of time and friends and what he gets involved in so just pray for him i appreciate it i think that's all my in introductory things i need to check off here um i want to draw your attention here to john's gospel why john's gospel before i left i was reading um through this gospel with two young men every week um, and my purpose was just that they would see Jesus. One of them is a new Christian, a young Christian. And so he, I was just, the purpose is just to lay a foundation of what he actually believes. He says he believes Jesus is the Son of God. Well, let's see what Jesus says about himself. The other gentleman I read the, the, the Gospel of John with, he's a skeptic. He's a questioning. He does not believe 
Um, and, and so this is just a great book, if you will, a gospel, just to take them because Jesus says certain things about himself that are very profound. And so I'm giving you my application right here up front. I hope you'll stay with me the rest of the sermon. But the application is, I want you to see Jesus. I know you know him, but I want you to see him, to remind you of who he is in his greatness again. And so we're going to be reading from uh, John. We're going to start in John 13 just to give me a little momentum into the sermon. And then all the way up to uh, 14, verse 7. So John 13, starting in verse 33. Jesus is speaking and he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I am also now say to you. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare. I I would have told you. Ah, sorry. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that we can gather together to worship you, to be in your house this day. We thank you that you speak to us. And so that is our, my prayer, our prayers, is that you would speak to us, that our, the, the, our hearts and our ears and our minds would be full of faith and that we would hear you. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Now, John, John tells his whole purpose in writing these 21 chapters. He tells us his purpose there at the end of, of the book. And he says he's written these things so that people, we, 21 centuries later, may hear, read it, and understand that Jesus is the Son of God and therefore have life. And in order to effectively tell these events... John centers his gospel on around the number seven. 
there are seven miracles in John's gospel. There are seven teachings in John's gospels. And there's seven great I am statements that we read one of them there in verse 6 of chapter 14. These statements in which Jesus makes a declaration about himself, they all reveal, they're all pointed to say that Jesus is the Son of God. And they each make a unique claim about Jesus. Each in their own way that say that Jesus, above all the billions of people that have lived in the world since creation of time, Jesus is completely and absolutely unique. But not just unique. He is really the exclusive answer to all of life's desires. I'm convinced that people are desiring to know, have meaning in their life. They're trying to have identity. And they're looking to have life and to live it to its fullest. And in each of these statements, these seven I am statements, Jesus is saying that he is the answer. And because he is God in the flesh. I also think that all of these statements that Jesus makes about himself, if you think about them, they're really crazy. They are absolutely ludicrous. Fathers, one of you the last time said to your children, don't worry, I'm the bread of life. I will take care of you. Or to say, I am the resurrection in the life. You have no worries about death, of sickness, of illness. Don't worry, I got it all taken care of. Show of hands, any fathers? Are you saying that? And yet, in these words here, Jesus even, if you will, ups the ante. He says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think to our modern ears, that becomes offensive. We don't like to hear those words, those words of exclusivity. And so the modern man says, well, who does this Jesus think he is to say such a thing about himself? And as I've said, there really are crazy words, unless they're true. And I'm convinced they are true. But they shouldn't be offensive. They should not cause problems today, even on themselves. The biggest reason is they should provide comfort. They should provide joy. Because when Jesus utters these words... I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's really given the answer to mankind's biggest problem. One of the ministries we do in, uh, in Hassan is I, I help co-lead an English club. And the English club, what we do is we have a topic um, every week. And out of, from that topic, then we have small group discussions. And it's in the small group discussions that it's my desire to engage uh, the Ukrainians to come to think about worldview questions. And so we often start talking about our lives. And it's amazing to me that these non-Christians that come to this English club, they will all say, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. We have a saying, to err is to be human. We all get it. 
our biggest problem is that we have a holy God and we're full of sin. That's our conditions, condition. And it's our sins that when we break God's laws that has actually made us enemies of God. Deserving of His just punishment. And it's in that context, if you notice that Jesus speaks and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The wonder of this statement is that Jesus gives the the divine answer to our biggest problem. Our sin. Deserving of God's wrath. And that answer is Jesus Himself. We actually find that answer on three levels. Instead of alienation, God says, Jesus says, that He is the way. Instead of error in truth, or excuse me, error in deceit, ignorance and error, Jesus says He is the truth. And instead of punishment and separation and death, Jesus says He is the life and the life giver. So these words should provide comfort. They should provide joy because they actually, in a nutshell, in simple ways, speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Now before we consider that phrase, let me just back up and I want you to make sure you see the main point. I know it's hard to miss it, um, but I feel as a teacher I like to emphasize the obvious. The obvious is, this is all about Jesus, and He is the answer to our problems, our basic need. Think about the whole context of where these words come in to the life of Jesus. He's already had the Last Supper. He's already washed their feet. He is now ready to leave the upper room, and He's going to the garden to pray. From the garden, we know, comes the soldiers and Judas and the betrayal and the arrest. We know the mock trial, the false trial in which he's condemned. We know the whippings, the scourges, the 40 lashes he receives. We know the cross. This is all there. And Jesus is saying, I am now leaving you. Put yourself in one of the 11's shoes at that moment. Their big concern is, Jesus, we will do anything to stay with you. You have brought us to God. If you're leaving us, we're going to be separated again. That would be unbearable. That's their questions. Did you see it? Peter asks, where are you going? I want to come too. And Philip says, We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? They want to stay with Jesus above everything because He is bringing them to God. And Jesus answers them. And when He does so, He directs their thoughts away from their questions, away from their doubts, away from their problems. And He focuses their attention on Himself. He is the answer to their questions. So how does he answer them? Let's look at it. The first statement is, I am the way. I 
It seems simple, but he's saying something profound here. A way usually implies two points and a path to get from point A to point B. We, we know that. Have you ever been lost? You don't know how to get to point B when you started at point A? What do you do? You ask for directions. How do I get there? What is the way? We've kind of lost that with Google Maps and you know, we can just put in our destination. But I, I was with a, a couple a, a month ago and um, we got talking about directions. How do you give directions? And they spent most of their adult life in up, uh, upstate New York. And the wife told me, in upstate New York, when we give directions, we say, when you get to the stop sign, you turn right. Go two miles. When you get to the stop light, turn left. Where she lives now in western Michigan, it's when you get to the stop sign, turn north. When you get to the stop light, turn east. She said, I don't know north, south, east, west. Just give me specifics. Turn right, turn left is what she wanted. We want to know the way, the specific directions of how to do that. If their question is, how do they stay close to God? How do they stay with Jesus? They're expecting, here's the five things they must do. If you will, here are the laws you must obey. You do this and you're okay. Jesus doesn't do that. He does not point them to what they have to do. He doesn't say you want to be close to God. Go out into God's creation. Find a quiet, isolated place and meditate. He doesn't say, like modern man says today, there's a divine spark in you. Just look inside yourself and find God. He says, I am the way. There's no way around it. It's Him and Him alone. You want to be close to God? It's Jesus. Now why does He say that He is the only way? The quest is to find God and to be close to Him. And Jesus, His whole coming, the reason why you were doing a a living nativity is to show that Jesus came to us because He's showing us God in the flesh. We've already mentioned it. We've all sinned. We know that. We've recognized that. There's no doubt about it. We're under God's curse And there's no way, humanly speaking, that we can get out from under God's curse. Now, why is that? Simply put, God does not and simply cannot just overlook our faults, our mistakes, our sins. This was brought home to me uh, when I was driving in Hersan once, I mean, you talk to Melinda, she knows the streets in, in Hersan. There's one street in which people park on, on both sides, and then two lanes of traffic try to go by each other. And so I was traveling that road one day. I was trying to be as careful as I can, but there just was not enough room. I scraped the car. And when I found the owner of the car, you can imagine his state He was very angry with me. I heard words in Russian. I'm glad I didn't know. (laughs) But his next actions were 
striking to me. He pulled out his phone. He called a buddy who owned a car shop. He said, my, my back panel has been scratched. How much does it cost to replace it? The guy told him. And then he told me the price and says, you owe me $300. I said, okay, I can get it to you. What's your name and address? He said, no. Get in the car, my car. I'll take you to your home. You're giving it to me now. There was the action. There was justice was going to be done immediately. There's no escaping that, even with God. God demands a just payment for the breaking of His laws. And so the question is, what is the appropriate punishment for treason? Because actual every sin we commit is an act of treason against God. And we know it. What would happen to Eric Snowden if he comes back from Russia into America? He's got the death penalty awaiting him. The one payment that we can't make and live is what God demands. And so Jesus is the way because He makes that payment. And only He could do so because only He was perfect. Never a thought, never a word, never an action did He do that broke God's laws. Only Jesus was God and man and could bear God's punishment, His wrath. Only He was resurrected that gives us hope because the grave could not hold Him. And so when Jesus says that He is the way, He's saying, do you want to come to God? It's me. I am the way. I provide the way. I take you and bring you to God. I rescue you. There's nothing we do that can earn God's favor. The next phrase, Jesus says, He is the truth. This is a statement for our day and age. I mean, just think about it. We live in a world today in which we call up, down, down, up, right, good. I mean, right, evil, and evil, right. We don't know our coming from our going. Anytime there's any politician that speaks, there's a fact checker to make sure that he's speaking the truth. In actuality, there's a fact checker for the fact checker. That's the day and age we live in. There's no idea of truth. I preached this sermon in, in, in Hassan right around the time where a, a new congresswoman made this statement. I think there are a lot of people more concerned about being precisely and factually correct than being morally right. I mean, does that not sum up our age? It's not about truth. It's not about facts. It's what I perceive to be truth. And it's into that vacuum that Jesus speaks, I am the truth. Now notice, he didn't say I will, he will teach us what is true and good. He doesn't say, I've just come out to point out that this is what is true. 
or good. He says, he personifies it. He says, I am truth. And in reality, you can add, and outside of him, there is no truth. And specifically, he's come to show the truth of who God is. He came to show the Father. And so what does Jesus teach us about God? First, he teaches God is personal. God is a person. And he relates to us as a person. He's not some cosmic force out there that has, has set things up, the blind watchmaker, and then steps back and watches how things go. No, God is personal. He's a personal being, and He desires to communicate with His creation. He wants His creation to know Him. He speaks to us. Most dominantly through His Word, but He speaks so that we know Him. Second thing we see is that God is holy. We cannot learn that God is holy from looking in any other direction except God Himself. Again, in a world in which we see good called evil, and we often mix the two up, there has to be something that's outside of ourselves to which we define what is good and evil. And the problem was, we can't get to heaven to see what is good and evil, so heaven came to us in the person of Jesus so that we may see what is good and beautiful and true and holy because Jesus is the truth. He lived without sin while He lived on this earth. And He is like the Father. Perfect in all His thoughts, words, and actions. And then thirdly, Jesus shows us that God is full of mercy, love, and grace. It's not that He speaks these words. He tells it to us. It's not that. Jesus came to show it in a demonstrable way. I mean, what is love? Love, in essence, is sacrifice. I said we're coming up on 23 years of marriage. Julia has sacrificed a lot to be married to me. Let's be honest. I married up. And she has sacrificed it. How do we know what love is? It's the sacrifice. Do you doubt God loves you? That God wants to be close to you? How do we know? Because Jesus sacrificed Himself for you. It's already happened. He demonstrated His love by going to the cross and dying for you. The punishment we could not bear, He bore. The death that we deserve, He died. Why? 
all that he may present us to God as his holy and perfect that we're now his child and walk with God now the final statement Jesus makes here is that he is the life life we all desire it no one wants to die we want to live but not only do we want to live we want to have a great life an important life. Whether it's in sports, whether it's in politics, we want to leave a legacy. We want to have life. And the sad thing is, is that in the day and age we live, most of us are discarding what would give us life for their own pursuits. We have a disease and it's called selfishness. We look at ourselves all the time. It's all about me. What I want. What I can get. What I can do. Friday evening, we were driving. I don't know exactly where we were. 12 or no, 20, 30 minutes from here. And there was some sort of, went through a town, just one stoplight, and there seemed to be some sort of protest. Aggie said, what's going on there? And I just had a glance, and I only saw one sign, but it said, I'm an atheist. No one can tell me what I can and cannot do. That sums up who we are. No one can tell me what I can and cannot do. Because it's my life. There's been a shift in our thinking. Uh, I think um, from the founding of our country to where we are today. And I heard this illustration by Albert Moeller. And I think it fits this. Of how we've shifted within terms of our perspective. He was speaking about the progression from uh, the Enlightenment to modernity and postmodernism, but I think it fits this as well. And he says you can define these things with a, a simple example, and it's a baseball example, it's umpires. So you talk to an umpire years and years ago, and you say, how do you determine the balls and strikes? And the umpire would say, I call them what they are. Modernity then changed it. You'd ask a modern umpire, how do you call balls and strikes? And he starts to interject himself. I call them as I see them. Today's day and age, you ask this umpire, how do you call balls and strikes? And the umpire says, they ain't nothing until I call them. And that's where we are. My life is my life because I say what it is. And Jesus comes and speaks. I give life because I am the life. The people who've uh, come from the church here and visit us in Hassan Novova uh, and his brother Maxime, his twin brother, Vova and Maxime started coming to our church in 2012. 
And the whole reason they came to our church was because they had a sponsor in America who said, I'll give you $100 every month if you guys will go to this church. I know the pastor. I'll write to him. I'll keep up with him. You go to church. You go to youth group. $100. What a, what a bargain. What a, what a deal. But you can imagine Volva Maxime or 18 years old at the time. They don't want to come to church. They're just coming for the money. They fall asleep in church. At youth group, they're a bigger problem than they are a blessing. I mean, they're rambunctious 18-year-old boys that like to wrestle, hit, pick on, joke, play on their phones, do anything but what we're actually doing in youth group. But within a year, they were changed. They were changed because our church as a community loved them. It's not just me. My family loved them. We began having youth group at our house. And my kids from Polly to Aggie and even uh, my older son Timothy, when they would come, they would get a better greeting than when I came in the door. Dad, Dad, Volva's here. Dad, Maxime came. And they would run and go hug him. They would sit beside him. It was the privileged seat was to be between Volva Maxime. And the love of God has just completely changed their hearts to where they were bored in church. Now they're leading youth group. To where they didn't care one thing about Scripture one year, Volvo read the Bible, the whole Bible, within five months. I challenged them. Let's, as a youth group, read through the Scripture together in a year. And he would come up to me every Sunday. James, James, what did you read this week? And so I would tell him. And he would say, well, I read. And then he would go on for 20 minutes because he read so much. God Jesus gives life. I'm sure you've seen it in your lives where you went from dead spiritually to now you hunger to walk with God, to know Him, to follow Him. And Jesus does that because He is the life. There's meaning, there's purpose, there's identity in Jesus and He gives it to us. And he says, follow me. I hope you've caught the glimpse in this sermon in this brief time of reminding again of who Jesus is. That he is the answer for us. He is the way, the truth of life. All our spiritual needs, he fills and there's nothing more to achieve. There's nothing more to improve upon. There's really even no more lessons to be learned. As my non-Christian friend who read, who's reading through the Gospel of John with me said before I left, every page just says Jesus is the Son of God. I said, yes. He said, so it's really rather simple. I just need to believe. 
Do you believe? Let us pray. God, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we recognize that uh, you alone save, you alone rescue, you alone redeem and give us life. That is our desire. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with faith that we may simply believe on Jesus, believe in Jesus, and follow him. Lord, help us to do so in this still evil and crazy world. Help us to remain faithful and follow you. Help us to draw near to you. And Lord, may you show us your grace and your love and your mercy each and every day. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, Jesus Christ. Amen.